Amazing, amazing stories, amazing people. Um, I want to, I'm going to come back to some of the stories that were just shared a little bit. Um, because if I start now, I'll just lock up and I won't be able to get anywhere. So um, we have been studying uh, the book of Matthew before we went into Advent. And we've been just going through the life of Jesus. I, I've always felt like somehow as you teach scripture and you go through theology and doctrine and all this stuff. Every now and then, very frequently, if we could just go back to the person of Christ. If we could just go back to who he was and study his life and what he, his rhythms and and um, what he valued and what he did and how he led people and how he allowed that to transform uh, uh, the world. If we could go back to that and we could learn from that and we could just model that, that it's a really good thing. So we've been studying uh, the book of Matthew. We've been in uh, the Sermon on the Mount forever because it's a really long sermon. And uh, I want to jump ahead briefly and read a, uh, just a couple of of verses that follow up the Sermon on the Mount. When he gets done speaking in Matthew 8, he, he comes down, he's finished speaking, and, and this is, it kind of picks up um, from right in that point. And it tells us, it's interesting, it's the very next thing that happens after he has um, presented such amazing uh, uh, sermon and, and truth. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, And a man with leprosy came, and he knelt before him. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So read the scripture, see our lives are the testimony. Our lives, Jesus literally told the guy, don't tell anybody what just happened. Um, But through your life, go back to those who knew you before, me, and let them see you now. That that is our greatest story. It's it's Jesus' story of this gospel. It's that place when the world notices you and asks the question, what is different about you? Why do you seem to have hope? Why do you seem to, even in your failures in the darkest times, seem to bounce back and, and find hope or have a different perspective that encourages others? And I'm 42 years old now and um, realized not long ago that I have been in pastoral ministry for 21 years. So literally half of my life I've been in pastoral ministry, which is really daunting <laughs> in some ways. That's, I'm just kidding. It's really not. I, I love it. Um, and I've noticed over the years this really strange metric of the church and how we view success. And typically in church leadership, and I think it filters into all of us, we, we tend to lean towards measuring success in the church through our programs and through our events and how, how many people show up to stuff. And it's really hard. It's hard not to feel like you're a failure if a lot of people don't show up to things. It's strange. Our, the human, our brains are, are weird. Um, but this is what the church has has really become. The measure of a church are these things. But what we realize as we study scripture is really scripture never talks about those things. Never ever does scripture talk about those things, programs, events, attendance. It talks about being present. It talks about uh, being together. 
Jesus talks about him building the church and us being about the kingdom, but it just doesn't talk about measuring success in the ways many times as a pastor we tend to measure success. The measure of the church is us. The measure of church is who we are, our lives, because we are the church. So I consider you here today who are maybe you're a brand new believer. The measure of the church is you. And I don't mean that to be high pressure on you, but the, is this a place, are we a people where you can grow and you can learn and you can safely ask questions that maybe some might be offended by? Where is a place for those of you who have been in faith for a long time and maybe you're the kind of a patriarch in, in the church, that you have the opportunity to take the experiences that you've been through and the wisdom that God has given you in investing in other people. And leading other people. That is our journey. Our journey together is our testimony. How we lead, how we steward what we have, how we love one another. Well, I think we can learn a few things from Jesus on this scripture. And this was a reminder to me as I was looking through the scripture actually this morning. A few reminders. First one is that he is capable of using anyone to share his story. I think in this time, Jesus healed the leper because uh, people connected sickness with spiritual things in those days. And so Jesus was speaking the language of the Pharisees and speaking the language of, of, the, of the religious leaders of the day when he was doing that. But Jesus can use absolutely anyone. Many times I, in my own life, I've heard other people's stories and I've thought, well, yeah, but they're just awesome. I couldn't be like that person. You know, I couldn't. I mean, she lives in Uganda. I can, I'm not that. I live in Buda, you know. Um, he could use and is capable of using anyone. Um, second thing in this scripture, we know that he was willing. That was the question. He says, are you willing? And Jesus said, I'm willing. And I think we need to remember that the Jesus that I know wants his very best for you. And he wants his very best for his bride, the church. I think the next thing is that he is active. He didn't just say, yeah, I'll heal you. Be healed. Scripture is very specific that he, ha- he reached out and he touched this man who was someone on the margins, who no one else, and no respected Jewish man would touch this man. And he did. He says, I don't care what traditions say. I don't care what anybody else says. I value you over anyone else, over anything else or tradition, and I will be active in reaching out. And he touched him. He did the hard work. He's not, Jesus is not idle And the last thing there is that his way is to go. He immediately said, go and show yourself. What I'm learning is that transformation almost always happens through action. Like we could come in this place and and this is a beautiful thing that we gather together. Hopefully we have a communion with God where we worship him because he is worthy of it. And we learn things and we make mind, we make decisions of the mind in this place. Maybe even decisions of the heart. But it's it's then we go out and we do something. And what I've found is is if we leave this in here to be a decision of the mind, even a decision of the heart. But we don't go and we don't take action on it. That's when transformation, there's a lack of transformation in our lives. And whenever I go through seasons and when I don't sense the presence of God moving in my life, that's when I start wondering, oh, God, where are you? And what I know through, through Scripture is that he's everywhere, that he's here. He's never absent. He's never idle. He's never not at work. It's us who we fail to see him or experience him when we remain idle. Okay? So a lot of you know, and thank you for extending me the grace. I didn't ask your permission, but thank you for allowing me. Uh, to take a few 
several weeks off, just kind of a sabbatical to just, to just breathe and to pray and to take time off. I was kind of praying for a fresh vision for A&C. I was, I was looking for um, kind of going to God, what is it? What's the next thing? What, what are we supposed to be about? Where are we? Because we've gone through some transitions over the last, uh, last handful of years and thinking, well, maybe there is this thing. Maybe there, there is this, you know, this whatever. And, and, uh, you know, to be honest with you, as I stepped away, something happened that God kind of revealed to me that was really, that was, that was strange to me. What I realized was, before I dealt with anything else, was this little season, for those of you who were around, that we went through thinking that we were going to step into this building over here. And even though we weren't going to do a normal church, we wanted to do community and have a place where there was a coffee shop and there's a place we were having concerts. And it was just totally this non-church church, you know, not getting that. I realized there was a real punch in my gut. It was a strange thing. I didn't realize how much that impacted me because I really felt like there's just, there's something that needed to happen in order for us to, to experience this sense of community, a new sense of mission, a new sense of thing. And so that was the first thing that I had to kind of step back and be able to, um, be able to, to move forward through because we had been working for the last six years, we've been working so hard not to mess up what God is creating here. Like, so as we grow, like when it's real intimate and small, and today there's, you know, we're a smaller crowd. There's a lot of travel and things like that. But as we grow as a church, and as we grew over the years, how do we not, how do we, how do we grow and stay small? How do we sin and people not leave? How do we not mess up this thing that we all have begun to value? And, and, and that was something that was heavy, heavy uh, on my heart. But then the second thing came. And uh, I saw a friend, a pastor friend, had, had put on, Facebook, this little book, this little tiny book is called Preacher and Prayer. And it was a book that was written in 1916. And uh, as I was praying through all of this stuff, um, the very first paragraph hit me so hard I had to put it down. I couldn't read anymore for a week. And here was that very first paragraph. We are con- 1916. It is as if it could have been written today. We are constantly on a stretch if not a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency of the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of people or sink people in the plan or the organization. God's plan is to make much of man, far more than anything else. People are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better people. Pretty profound, huh? So a little perspective coming out that reminding ourselves that God is about people. That we are about to be people. We are, that is what we are to be about. And so that is the lens in which we should view everything. That is the lens in which we should view how we do church, how we do community, how we live, what bugs us and what we celebrate. That should be the lens. We should remember that Jesus never told us to build a church, that he said he'd do that. He told us to be the church. That our goal is to love God and love one another and to become and make disciples. Really, that's the two things that Jesus told us to do, right? Um, To love God, love others, and to make disciples. And when we think about the disciples, I want you to think about this. Because, again, as we hear stories of people doing amazing things and God moving in their lives, sometimes we feel really super isolated and like, man, I'm just not doing that or I'm not. The disciples were really not perfect Christians, (laughs) 
they were pretty messed up dudes that came from pretty rough backgrounds, and they consistently denied Christ verbally as well as through their actions. But here's what was different about the disciples. They made a decision to commit their life to try and become more like their rabbi. It wasn't just did they or were they always. It was a decision that no matter what, their number one goal was to become like their rabbi. Not to be in a community of people who might want to be like their rabbi, but to become like Jesus, to take on his values and who he was, who he is. So, um, Christmas. Everybody have a good Christmas. The heaters just came on, by the way. I think it's blowing cold air in before the heat comes on. Good Christmas. So we, I woke up for Christmas morning, and a couple of my boys were already up on the couch, sitting there in their spot, ready to go for their Christmas experience. Um, they were like in the only places you could really, like taking up the whole couch. There were like 14 people were about to come over, and they were in their seats. So I get up, and I turn on certain lights and make coffee and start getting things ready because I, as a dad, I'm thinking I'm try, I want to create this experience. Right, I want to create. I want everyone to experience a certain, to experience Christmas in a certain way, the way I wanted to. And then Jen gets up, and she flips on the light I intentionally turned off, and goes over and starts doing something else. And then Remy comes up and gets in, and she starts giving the rules how we're going. The youngest will open presents first. <laughs> And, and then people on Grandma shows up and Uncle Drew shows up and then, and then Jen says, Brandon, why don't you start handing the presents out? And then it's like, no, well, Uncle Drew, why don't you start handing the presents out? And everybody has their idea of how they're going to make this experience special, right? And if you're not careful, you start going at each other. Have you ever blown up Christmas because of that? I've seen it many times. Isn't it funny how when we have something we really want so bad, we can sabotage our own joy? So I'm sitting here seeing this dynamic happen, and no one's getting angry this year. (laughs) But I was sitting there, and I chuckled to myself a little bit, and I thought, this is church. This is church. Everybody's coming in from different perspectives with different hopes and desires and dreams. And we all want what's best. But we all want it how we want it, right? And how we navigate, this is so important. So at the end of the day, though, halfway, you know, the afternoon as we sit back on the couch and, and smile and look at the successful, amazing morning and as we're having our soda pop or whatever, um, we get to celebrate and remember just what an amazing, you know, experience it was. And I thought, well, what, what kept it from being a disaster? What are the things that keep it from being a disaster? For sake of time, I'll tell you what came to my mind. The first thing was, is what came to our mind is the, the, the attitude that prevailed were, were the parents. That our heart was that we wanted everyone to have the best experience they could. We wanted our children to experience. We wanted everyone else in the room to have this great attitude. When I was a kid, I just wanted me to have the best attitude. I wanted me to have the best experience. I wanted my present to be what I wanted and all of these things. But it's when, a, when it's the attitude of someone who cares for everyone else in the room as much as they care for themselves. That something special happens. And I think the other thing was, is that we are a family. Never at one point did I stop in the middle of it and go, you know what? You guys have this how you're going to have it. I'm going to cross the street with Teresa and Pruitt. I'm going to have Christmas with them. We never crossed our mind that we weren't going to just do this together no matter what. And so it's a special thing. 
when you do that and you realize you're in it together no matter what. In this new year, my prayer is that we renew our decision to be the church. It's probably a decision we'll have to make every year, every month, every week of our life as we disappoint each other, as we let each other down, and as we share and experience amazing moments together. But we need to decide as we fight for our own dreams that we value each other's dreams and expectations as well, that we extend grace to one another, that we forgive, and we decide to do the hard work of family. So Jen and I are asking ourselves these questions. One, how am I doing? Because we can't be a part of even seeing other people right until we go, well, how are we doing? How am I doing? Am I stuck? Before I look at anyone else, how am I doing? Second is, who am I doing whatever I'm doing with? Am I in community or am I in isolation? Who am I with? We need to fight for community. I thought it was funny. Callie said, she, her, her question was, do I want to be in a group or do I want to be happy? <laughs> Those were the two questions. <laughs> I just sit there. Do I want to be in a group or do I want to be happy? You know, because it's just hard work. And sometimes it's just easier to go, you know what? I just keep this time for myself. I'm not going to disappoint myself. I'm not going to, you know, it's hard. It's hard work. And the last question is, where am I going? Where am I going? Am I setting up Jesus to amaze me? Because it's in the, on the way that Jesus does his work. It's always, even in scripture in his own life, Jesus was always on his way somewhere where he was interrupted with something that became the Bible story. It was rarely, if ever, where he showed up. It was always where he was going. Um, so go to Haiti. Go to Uganda. Go to your neighbor's house across the street. But just show up and be there. Okay, let's pray.